Bible reading is from Romans chapter 12, verses 1 to 8. We're starting at verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Amen. Upstairs, having a great time. Hope you're having a great time as well. Uh, we're going to have a great time in God's Word tonight and I'd like to say hello to everybody who's online watching or listening as we open God's Word for the final time in our series on commitment. And we've been looking with great interest at a number of different values that we have as Christians. Committed Christians believe in things like the Bible is the Word of God, prayer and evangelism and, and all the great things we've looked at over the last uh, little while. And tonight I want to just draw it all together and I want to talk uh, about so what. So if we value all these things, so what? what? What do we do with it? Well, what we're going to look at tonight is that when we become a Christian, we actually join in partnership with God. So serving in the local church is like being in partnership with God, going into a partnership with Him. And service in the local church, I want to argue tonight, is actually something that flows out of all the values that we've talked about over the last little while, that Christianity is not a spectator sport. And when Jesus called on his disciples to follow him, he didn't call on his disciples to watch him. He said, follow me, come with me, do what I do, I will teach you. And that same call goes out tonight to us. So let me pray again as we open up the passages that we have in front of us tonight and let's enjoy hearing God encourage us to be in partnership with him. Heavenly Father, we thank you tonight as we think about serving you in the local church and we pray that you would give us your eyes for the reality we live and we pray Heavenly Father that we might be delighted to continue to think about how amazing it is that you call on us to partner with you as you are about your great work. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well today we're going to be looking at volunteering in the local church. Now many churches have a sermon like this every now and again 
Uh, some churches put on a really big uh, deal when they have a weekend sermon like this. Sometimes they'll have like booths of all the different ministry opportunities that there are at the church. People can walk around and look at the different ministries. Uh, the kids ministry would have a booth saying, join the kids ministry and here's how you can do it. And then all the other ministries would do the same kind of thing. And that's all very uh, fine. But as you can tell tonight, when you came into church, it just looked like any other night, really, didn't it? It didn't look like a special night. And I think... Um, while it's not a bad thing to have something like booths around the church to advertise different ministries, it's also good, isn't it, to say that actually serving in the church is what we do. That, that's what Christians do. So it's like a weekly, regular thing. And that's uh, on my mind tonight. But let me just, before we start, let me just say a few things about serving in the church just so that I make sure we're all on board that we're not going to make a mistake about what we're trying to do tonight. Because um, another reason why we don't have booths around the church tonight with all the different ministries um, to go around and have a look at is this sermon tonight isn't about us trying to recruit you to join a ministry team. We're not uh, sitting in a staff meeting during the week and looking at the figures of the number of people who are serving in the church and think, oh, it's about time we have one of those sermons about serving in the church because we need some more people to fill our rosters. No, nothing could be further from the truth. We're not just trying to fill more rosters and get more people into serving. And in fact, at the end of the sermon tonight, we might have less people serving in this church as a consequence of this sermon. And if that was the case, that would be a terrific thing. Because what we're on about tonight is we're actually on about not guilting anybody to do anything. You see, we're on about enjoying the life that we have. We want you to love the life that Christ has given you. Didn't Jesus himself say that I've come to give you life and life to the full? So there's no guilt going on tonight and there's no recruitment going on tonight. But if we're not doing either of those two things, what are we doing? Why are we having a sermon about serving? Well, the reason we're having a sermon about serving is because the Bible talks about serving. That no matter what church you're in, serving is what you do as a Christian. And yes, we are going to look at opportunities there are in Soul Revival tonight to serve... Uh, as, a, as a practical analogy to this week's topic but we're also going to talk about the other things that there are in God's kingdom to serve too because it's not just restricted to a local church. What I would long for you tonight is that you get excited about serving in the kingdom of God because as I started the sermon serving Jesus in the local church is, is going into partnership with God. It's not just about working for the church or in the church it's actually partnering with God as he grows local churches like ours. What sort of attitude should we have as we approach this sermon tonight? Well, I've been encouraged by 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 to 7, as I thought about this question. And this is what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians. He says, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, because God loves a cheerful giver. Now, Paul, in context of this passage, is talking directly about giving of our finances for the kingdom of God. And in that context, Paul's saying, I don't want you to give out of guilt or because you think you should. I want you to want to give money. I want you to enjoy giving money. And I'm drawing what you might say is a long bow tonight, but I don't think it is, to suggest that just what is true for giving our money is also true of giving our whole lives. That if we're offering ourselves in service, that we should be thinking of one of those values we've looked at in the series so far, generosity and thankfulness. That is the driver for serving in the church. That being thankful for what God has given to us and how he's involved us in his uh, mission in this world should be a delightful thing for us. Uh, I said earlier that 
this sermon might actually end up in less people doing ministry because what I want to say tonight is that if, if you're not in ministry yet, I don't want you to feel like you have to join a ministry team or that I'm going to somehow talk you into it. The other thing I want to say though is if you're already in a ministry at Soul Revival and you're actually not enjoying it regularly, you're not delighted in your ministry role, if you find yourself grumbling and complaining about the different people in the ministry team and how, how it's not organised that well or you know, maybe it could be better if we had better this or better that and I'm, oh, it's just so frustrating, it's taking up time I don't have, I'm too busy... I'd encourage you to think about um, a concept we have at Soul Revival which is called Ministry Slide. It gives people permission when you feel like that in ministry to slide out of it and you don't actually have to continue to serve in a ministry because your value to this church and to be part of the Kingdom of God is not in what you do, it's who you are. See, we are brothers and sisters in Christ, we're a family. You don't, you don't judge other members of your family based on what they do in the house, we do things in the house because we're a family and we all contribute to that. But if there is someone who's going through a hard time and they either don't have the capacity, you know, their shoulders aren't big enough at the time for the particular role that they've got, or they're just really, really getting down because they're, they're doing things all the time, often another member of the family will come and tap that member on the family and say, look, let me do the washing up tonight. Seems like you need a break. Why don't you just go and sit and watch TV and, and you know, there's no passive aggressiveness in that, is there? It's actually, oh yeah, I think you need a break. Why don't you go and sit down and watch TV and I'll do the dishes for you. In the same way amongst the people of God, if you start to feel bitterness creeping into your heart because of ministry, because you're either not being respected or you don't feel like you're being appreciated or it's too much for you, it's fine to say, actually, I need to tap out for a bit because I need to get back to this place of generosity and thankfulness before I step back into that role. That's a really good barometer as we go through this sermon for why you do ministry in the church. It's because of your thankfulness and generosity. And when that starts to ebb, it's really important that you are able to talk to someone about it too, that you could come and talk to me or someone you can feel like you can trust, that you could say, look, I just don't think it's just not me anymore. I just can't do this. So now that we've emptied all the ministry teams at Sorrow Bible Church and given everybody permission to, to slide out of their ministries, let's see if we can encourage some people to join ministry teams, having said all that. Um, I'm joking, of course, because like I said, I'm not actually trying to recruit. I'm actually trying to say, let's partner with Christ. And let's do that in a way that we can find a joyful experience. And to help us in that quest, I'm going to suggest that we have two reasons today to be in service in the local church. The first is that God calls you to partnership with him. It's not the pastor or the staff team or the needs of the rosters that gets people to serve. That's not the only reason churches have roles for service. It's far more spiritual than that. It's actually God himself that asks you to partner and not with the church. The first place that we start in this quest tonight is God actually asks you to partner with him. He's asking you to partner with him personally in a relationship with him. And the second one is that as you partner with Christ, God calls you to partner with other people other Christians so you're in partnership with God and in partnership with other people and so why get involved with service at the church they're the two reasons I'm suggesting why you would get in involved it's because God himself calls you to that and so what we're going to look at tonight is the wrap-up of this series and because we're wrapping up this series we are going to dip into a couple of verses that we've already looked at for the sake of conclusion and tonight uh, to start off with I'm actually going to suggest that that really uh, important verse to us Matthew 22 37 to 40 actually summarizes both of those two calls to partnership 
I believe. Have a look with me at uh, Matthew chapter 22, 37 to 40 right now. You see, Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbour as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Now, this uh, statement of Jesus was a response to people who were trying to trick him out. The Pharisees, the religious leaders, were trying to see if they could trick Jesus. Let's see if we can trick him with this clever theological question about what's the most important law of Moses, Jesus. What would you say the most important one was? And as usual, Jesus confounds them because his answer's so good. He doesn't get tricked at all. He doesn't stumble for words. He doesn't stand in front of that little particular committee and, and, and say, I don't know. He says, basically, you can summarise the whole of the law with these two things, that you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your mind and with all your soul, and it is the first commandment. And the second commandment, which summarises everything, is... Love your neighbour as yourself. And if you actually obey those two things, then you're obeying all the law, aren't you? And so what Jesus is saying here is love God first and love others second. Now, all of scripture is precious and just as valuable. But that verse was very helpful as Soul Revival did first begin because a number of us who were involved in youth leadership were feeling bitter, tired and grumbling because we were turning up each week to youth group and no one was coming and it didn't seem to be working and the minister didn't think we knew what we were doing and some of the parents were ringing us up saying, why don't you go and do some training because you're not doing very well at looking after our kids. And so we were starting to feel a little bit bitter and an idea occurred to us, why don't we go back to the Word of God and just sit down and have a cup of tea, have a pray, have a read and see if God just gives us a bit of direction right now because we're a bit directionless. Isn't it good to get direction when you don't know where you're going? Well, we were a bit lost, a bit aimless. And when we read these words, it was because we were just flipping around in the Bible. No one had taught us how to read the Bible up at that stage. We were pretty young. I'd never been to Bible college. And we were just basically sharing favourite verses. And one of the verses that was shared was this one. And what confronted us with this verse was this concept of love. That's what confronted us. Now, you might think that's a bit of a surprise. Isn't that really a good summary of all of Jesus' teaching? Isn't the Christian faith all about love? Well, what confronted us was the specificness of this instruction, not the generality of this concept of love. That's easy, isn't it? I love you. I love you. I can say that. I can stand here for the next 20 minutes and say that over and over. But what does that mean to say I love you? What does it look like if I say I love you, Pete? What does it look like if I say, I love you, Sarah? What does that look like? Well, Jesus tells us what that looks like with his very life. Because, you see, Jesus' act of love for us was that he laid down his life for us so that we might not be separated from our Heavenly Father forever, but rather have a way back to God despite our sin and rebellion. That was love. So, this verse teaches us that kind of love. You see, for Jesus, love is service. Love is to lay your life down for the other. It's other person focused. It's about embracing difference. It's a radical kind of love. It's not a platitude that's easy to say. It's a lifelong journey that is lived delightfully in the service of other people. And we were struck by that because by the stage we started to get grumbling and bitter and complaining in our ministry, I'd got to the point where I'm thinking, I've got uni, I've got soccer, I've got parties I've got to go to, I already go to church on Sunday and I go to Bible study. Do I really have, a, can I really afford a third night of the week to, 
for this church when I've got so many other things to do? I feel like the church is holding me back a little bit. And you see, it was my heart that had the problem because I th- I'd started seeing leading the youth group as like a part-time job at Macca's that I did to get a bit of extra credit points and, you know, I'd do that for a little while and then I'd hand it over to someone else. But what I got struck with with this teaching about love from Jesus is Jesus didn't see me as a part-time job. The relationship he laid his life down to secure with me took the whole of his life. And so the night we read this together, we thought, let's approach ministry differently. Let's actually give God our best, not our second best. Let's not just think of service as something we do on top of everything else when we've got enough time to let's actually do that first and then see if everything else fits in and being young and being young adults the three or four of us said what's the most precious thing we can give Jesus we wanted to be practical you see we didn't we didn't think that when Jesus said love God and love others he was just talking about a platitude practically what are we going to do and you might have a smile at this or a giggle at it but we actually said well Saturday night is the most valuable night of the week for us we're leading the youth group on Friday, let's swap the nights. Let's lead youth group on Saturday night and give God our favourite night of the week and let's enjoy it. And that little decision came from change of, of attitude, you see. But right there in that passage, you see, God is saying love God, Jesus is saying love God, partner with him. And when you partner with him, you partner with your neighbours as well. See, he says there, love your neighbours as yourself. Not, not love them if you've got enough time to, after everything else you want to do. Put them first. Love them like that. And back in the day, we thought that there were two kinds of neighbours we had. We had Christian neighbours and we had non-Christian neighbours. So how are we going to love our Christian neighbours? Well, we were going to be discipled and disciple others. That's what we're going to try and do. And how are we going to love our non-Christian friends? We were going to love and mission to them, share the truth and love of Jesus with them and mission and discipleship became really key to that. So in that, in that passage, you see, I think, a summary of the Bible's teaching about partnering and serving. So let's unpack that a little bit more briefly tonight and what I want to do now is just step back a little bit in the Bible and go back into the Old Testament again like we did last week. This time I want to go back to Exodus chapter 3 And what I want to do is look at an example in the Old Testament of somewhere where God calls a person to partner with him, to serve him. And I want to choose Moses. Moses in chapter 3 verses 9 to 12 is um, going up the mountain and he comes across a burning bush. Do Do you know the story? Are you familiar with the story? If you're not, Moses comes up to a little bush and it's on fire. But even though the bush is on fire, it is not being extinguished. It's continuing to burn. The leaves aren't falling off and the sticks aren't blackening. It's still alive, but it's burning. He's terrified, as I would be. And he hears a voice out of the bush. If that's not terrifying enough, this voice comes out of the bush and talks to him. Moses is like, what's going on? I just look after sheep. And now I'm seeing a bush burning and some dude's talking out of the bush. What's going on? Well, the voice says, take your shoes off, Moses, because you're on holy ground. In other words, it was the living God who was speaking to him through the bush. I love God's imagination. Isn't he delightful? He could have just said, hey Moses, I want to talk to you about something. Do you want to have a coffee? But he didn't, did he? He set a bush on fire. Isn't he beautiful and creative and awe-inspiring? Now that's a story you can keep telling generation after generation, isn't it? And everyone, every single generation I've told this to lean forward when you tell them there was a bush on fire but it wasn't 
it, it was still alive and it was burning and they delight in it. But here I come back to that idea of thankfulness and generosity again. Do, do, do you sometimes find that delight waning in your heart a little bit as a Christian when you hear that story for four or five or 40 or 50 times? Just imagine again the delight of Moses but the terror of him as he takes his shoes off and he waits to hear what this living God is going to tell him after he introduces himself. I'm going to pick up it in verse 9. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, Moses. I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them, so now go, and I'm sending you to the Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you, and this will be a sign for you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. What an awesome bookend that story has. Where Moses meets him, one day he will see the promise fulfilled in the same place. And we know that Moses comes back under Sinai and receives the Ten Commandments from God that Jesus is quoting in Matthew 22. Isn't that beautiful? It's wonderful. It's delightful. And it's true. And two points I want to take out of this little story about Moses and God. First of all, God calls him to follow him, doesn't he? God's calling Moses. And what does he say? He says, I want you to do something with me. Not for me, with me. Again, it's the same as Matthew 22. God says, I will be with you. I'm going to do this and I want you to come and do it with me. And that sets the pattern for all the calls in the Old Testament. Same thing happened to Abraham earlier and the same thing would happen to the prophets like Isaiah later all the calls are calls to partner with God so let's fast forward through to Matthew chapter 4 verses 18 to 20 where Jesus is speaking now and he's walking beside the sea of Galilee and in verse 18 as Jesus is walking beside the sea he saw two brothers Simon and Peter and his brother Andrew and they were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen come follow me Jesus said and I will send you out to fish for people and at once they left their nets and followed him strange instruction to fishermen stop fishing for fish start fishing for people the reason jesus said that was because that's the kind of fisherman jesus was jesus's ministry was about mission to people to bring people into the kingdom of god not collect fish in a net to go and sell at the market but to collect human beings for heaven to be gathered together and so the call to these disciples was the same as the call to moses come follow me and do this with me okay what does it look like for Jesus to say that to them? Well, have a look at um, Matthew chapter 20, verses 25 to 28. We move forward in the story of Matthew and we come across 2025 and Jesus called them together and he's going to give a bit more definition to this mission that he's on here. He says, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. So, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be a servant, and whoever wants to be first must be a slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus here explicitly connects partnering with him with service. After all, Jesus is a servant. He served us by laying his life down on the cross, and he's calling on us to serve each other and to serve others. Just as his service was a ransom for many, so we are to partner with him and minister to others. And this leads me to the second call. To, to partner with God is to partner with others as well. And to help us to understand that, I want to flick over to Galatians chapter 5.13. And here Paul is thinking about this very concept. And this is what he says in verse 13. 
You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. Now let's just pause there for a moment. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. Remember at the beginning of the sermon, I was saying this sermon is not about trying to guilt you into coming and joining a service team. Why? Because Christians are free. Isn't that delightful? If a burning bush is not delightful, following Jesus and being free is delightful. Paul unpacks that many times in Galatians, but in Galatians he's particularly strong about this because the religious leaders, the Judaizers, were saying to the Christians, you have to become a Jew first and then you can be be a Christian. And so they were trying to lord it over them in a way themselves. They were trying to guilt them into, you know, following Jesus the way they thought that that should be. And Paul says, no, 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 you are absolutely free as a person. So you can choose to do whatever you want. You're called to partner with God and to partner with others, but you're free. And so we're free to offer. How do we use the freedom? Paul says, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh, rather serve one another humbly in love. Now, what I find fascinating about this is this is so countercultural in our culture that maybe it would take a whole sermon just to unpack this rather than pausing here at this verse. But here what we're seeing is service, serving one another humbly in love is freedom. Hang on. I thought freedom was free to do whatever I want to do. But if I'm going to serve God, that means I'm not doing whatever I want to do. See, in our culture, it's freedom from that people talk about. But in Christianity, freedom is freedom to. Did you hear that? Not freedom from regulations, freedom from anybody telling me what to do. It's freedom to behave in a way that I'm not naturally built to do. I'm free to serve as a spiritual person, not just as a physical person. Because when I start thinking as a spiritual person, I don't indulge the flesh. But in our culture, freedom to indulge the the flesh is the definition of freedom. I'm free to go out with whoever I want and do with them whatever I want and I can spend my money however I want and I can do all these things, I can drink what I want, I can... Yeah, there are some rules in our society, but less and less so as time goes on. But here, service in love is considered freedom. And it takes a mind shift because it's countercultural. But when you come to Paul's teaching in Romans that we heard read tonight, it starts to make sense because freedom to serve is very relational. Freedom from restriction isolates you from other people. But freedom to serve connects you up with other people. See, the magic, not that I like that word, but I can't think of a better word right now, The magic of this whole concept of service is it's incredibly relational. In Ephesians uh, 4, verse 15 to 16, Paul says, Instead, speaking truth in love, we will grow to become every aspect, the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From the whole body, joined together, every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each does its part of work. Now, do you ever hear any debates from your body other than the odd aches and pains, putting that aside? Does your body debate the joy and beauty of working together? Probably my body has been most happy when I was 14 and I could run in sprint races at school. Because when I ran, it was almost an existential experience. 
because I used to laugh as I ran because I couldn't believe how fast my body would move. All I would do is almost feel like I was just flying down the track when I used to run. I used to love the, the, the endorphins that it used to release in my brain as I ran. And I was laughing and people would say to me, why are you laughing? I said, I just can't believe my legs move so quickly. And my arms can pump so fast and I could get so much oxygen into my body. And one of my regrets, actually, as I've grown older, is the slowing down of my speed. Because I sometimes, every now and again, go down to Grace Point Oval and you might see me, if, you, if you're driving past one day, trying to get back that experience every now and again. But I know I'll get it again one day in the Kingdom of Heaven, so I'm not that worried about losing it. But you see, the body, when it works, is a joyous thing. It's supposed to be a loving, joyous activity to be the body of Christ with him at the head and for us to be serving together, living in the relationship, just like my feet and my knees and my ankles are in relationship, hurtling me down the track. So the body of Christ working together for the good of the kingdom of heaven is a joyous activity. And so sometimes you get glimpses of that when you look around the body of Christ. I had a cup of tea with um, Steve Van Wart during the week. You might not know him on the Saturday night service, but Steve does scripture in school. He's a tradesman. And when he talks to me about teaching those children in school, his, his face lights up, just like my face used to light up when I ran down the track. He goes, oh, mate, I had him in the palm of my hand today. It was wonderful. I was telling them about Jesus and they were asking me questions and he said, you know what, the whole class, none of them have ever heard any Bible stories ever before. What a privilege I had to tell them about Jesus. He wasn't sitting there going, oh, I suppose I should go to Scripture soon. No one else will do it. I suppose we'd better do Scripture. See the contrast? See, if he had have sat there and said something like that to me, I would have said, Steve, have a bit of a pray because you might need to have a bit of break from Scripture. But mate, if I'd have told Steve to have a break from Scripture on Tuesday, he would have torn me limb from limb. How dare you be such an apostate to stand between me and those young people as I tell them the gospel. Get out of my way! Get behind me, Satan! That would have caused a big stir at the coffee shop, wouldn't it? Well, sometimes, unfortunately, we all get points in our life where we don't feel like that. And I'm sure Steve does too. But remember how Jesus' spirit is transforming us and renewing us and he is at work in us. It's not us that is doing the ministry. Remember what he said to Moses? I will be there with you. I will go with you. What did Jesus say to his disciples? He said, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to leave my Holy Spirit to live in you and he will do that in you. And so to finally finish, as I do finally get to the list of things and ways to serve at Soul Revival, just to conclude in the next two minutes, please don't hear this as a guilt trip or a need to fill rosters. Hear this as the most creative we've been able to be as a leadership team to create as many opportunities for the body of Christ to thrive and serve and be joyful as we can. Do you see that? That's why we have these ministries, to be the body of Christ. And no, we didn't take all exact examples out of Romans 12 because... In Ephesians, there's a different list and in Corinthians, there's a different list. So we did feel permission that maybe in our culture, in our time, at our moment, we could set up a few different things for people to enjoy. But here's just some of the things that we do here at Soul Revival. We have people who welcome you when you come to church. We have people in the world team that are making sure Soul Revival is not just on about itself. It's also connected up with the kingdom of God. 
we have life support. And by the way, Sue's told me that um, please don't give any more food at the moment because she can't close her fridge. So there's obviously a few people involved in Paul's life support team, whether they're formally or informally, because poor old Sue's can't eat all the food you're giving her. So stop it now, please. At least until Wednesday, she says. Yeah, sign up Wednesday. I was getting there, Karen. Karen was looking after her there. Hospitality. We're about to have a go at eating chicken and I assured my parents that I'd finish in time for the chips not to go cold. But I'm telling you what, if I do my usual and go over time a little bit with my sermon, I'll hear it from my mother, not because she's cranky because the chips go cold. She wants you to feel her love tonight. She's put a lot of effort into making sure you feel special and she's loving you and my dad is loving you and my son Elijah is loving you by saying, we've got you some food tonight. Kids and youth and young adults ministry, communication and arts, Berea and community groups, and I could go on. Go to the website, have a look at that stuff. On the form on Berea, there's a way you can actually reach out to us and say, I don't know what I want to do, but I'd like to be a part of it because I can't stop feeling like my heart's starting to look and feel a little bit like Steve Van Wart. For this weekend, I'm going to call it the Steve Van Wart syndrome. If you feel the Steve Van Wart syndrome going on right now and you feel a bit edgy and you want to start running down that track and getting into it, talk to us. Amen. Thank you.